I wonder how many of us know Adrian Snell, a local Christian composer, about to release his 25th album, now a music therapist in Bath. We had a number at the nine o'clock service, maybe not so much uh, uh, this one or two. Um, one of my significant memories of my student days was going to see him perform live in the Royal Albert Hall, his epic album, Alpha and Omega, with a choir of about 600. It was incredible. For those who don't know it, and there was a new uh, live recording of it um, three or four years ago, it builds up to the title uh, song, which has as its chorus, based on our passage today, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, the words, so, uh, my family's particularly relieved about that, so rejoice the holy city comes, oh rejoice the new Jerusalem, oh rejoice be ready now, he comes to take his bride, he is alpha and omega, he's alive. Revelation is tricky. And what I'm about to say draws heavily on various commentaries, so I record my thanks in advance to them. As Sean said last week, it is apocalyptic literature, which means we need to be ready to engage our imaginations. We may not be able to analyze the argument logically like we can Paul's letters, for example, but John's thrown in masses for those like me who like a bit of structure. For a start, here's the structure of the whole book. We have seven letters to the churches, then seven seals being opened, seven trumpets being sounded, seven visions of cosmic conflict, seven bowls being poured out, seven words of justice, seven visions of ultimate reality, the last of which we are focusing on today, and finally, seven final revelations. Why seven of everything? Because seven is the biblical number of perfection, which we see even at the start of Genesis, with there being seven days of creation. Revelation is also a book all about Jesus Christ. Hence why we have it as the grand finale of our series following Joe Swinney's great book, The Whole Christmas Story. This was clear from the first couple of verses of Revelation, which make clear that this is not the revelation of John. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the testimony, we're told, of Jesus Christ. Revelation was written to bring encouragement to Christians under great pressure, to encourage them to give Christ the, his proper place in their lives. Does that sound much different from what society needs today? Even the word revelation helps us. The word means unveiling or understanding. And this is to be an unveiling of great truths about Christ. This isn't a book that's meant to confuse us or bemuse us, though some of Revelation is a bit way out. Revelation is with us to inspire us, and none more so than this fantastic passage from chapter 21. 
If you like your hotel to have a sea view, the first verse may have got you switched off already because we're told there will no longer be any sea. Have no fear. In mythology, apparently the sea was associated with the devil and in the Bible with the dark forces of chaos which threaten God's plans and people. So this is a reference to the absence of chaos, not the absence of beautiful blue water. Our first theme is one of renewal. This passage does renewal big time. We have a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and as if that isn't enough, a new everything. This is the new holy city that Ezekiel and others foresaw. But it is renewal, not replacement with a different universe. Just like a marriage marks a new start for those two people. They are the same people, but starting anew. The new world is still recognizably a world but it's a radically renewed one. This is the time of year when, as Jess has said, lots of people will be making New Year's resolutions, which apparently 92% of people don't keep. Hopefully, if you have made one, you're not in that category already, as it's only the 2nd of January. Whether or not you believe in New Year resolutions, there is something wonderful about the fact that we will be made new by Christ on the last day but also that if we follow Christ we're being made new every single day we are washed clean of everything we do wrong so we can enjoy that renewal right now but also look forward to the day when God's whole world will be renewed and we, when we will again see face to face those who have died and when we will see Christ face to face. The chapter later on says there is no temple in the heavenly city. There is no need for one as we will meet God everywhere just as was the case in the Garden of Eden. As God's people, we will get to see the face of God, which even Moses wasn't permitted to do. It will be a world with no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, which to the many of us who know people who are mourning, crying, or in pain, maybe we are ourselves, is surely a wonderful encouragement. The new order will be one of perfection itself. The rest of the chapter goes on to refer to the new world being one of perfect purity, security, government, fellowship, beauty, vision, harmony, and goodness. There will be none of the things that spoil life on earth. The second theme is one of truth. In this week when Desmond Tutu has died, Many of us will be thinking of the fantastic power that truth played in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, which Tutu so fantastically chaired. 
the government got into seriously hot water last month when the truth emerged that Downing Street had been having parties during the lockdown a year before. In the film clip of a mock press briefing about it that many of us will have seen, Allegra Stratton, we have saying, what's the answer? Got to the heart of it. There was no convincing answer. And so when it got out, she had to resign. And there may be other implications when the inquiry reports. But Revelation 21 makes clear that this revelation, which we've already established, is about Christ and which picks up on all that has gone before it in the Bible, is trustworthy and true. We believe in a God of truth, a God who is truth. To quote John's Gospel, or indeed another Adrian Snell song, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Thirdly, our passage talks of completion. Verse 6 that we heard read says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Revelation gives us a trip through history, showing some of what the church can expect in the period between the first and the second coming of Christ. The return of Christ will take place suddenly, and there's no point in us trying to predict when it might happen. We'll no doubt have the surprise of our lives when it does happen, just as most of the world was oblivious when Christ's birth was happening, or indeed when later Christ's death was happening, of the significance of that. What matters is that God is above and before and beyond all things. We saw on Christmas Day that wonderfully hideous green dragon here, those of us who are uh, here, being overcome. We pierce it towards the end of the service. We now in chapter 21 have a reference in verse 7 to the one who overcomes. The message of Revelation is that the church overcomes. Light and darkness are not of equal standing nor are Satan and God. The dragon we saw in chapter 12 is frustrated, enraged, and expelled. It's a victory that is grounded in a verifiable event 2,000 years ago. It's a victory that has deep spiritual significance for all Christians. This passage doesn't come out of the blue. It's a culmination of all the Bible promises and prophecies. And so fourthly, we have two great promises. God will give to us to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. We will have forever this life we are getting snippets of. We even know from Matthew chapter 8, we will recognize people it will be the reunion of the whole church with its true Lord, with all eyes on Christ. Those within the church who have died will be there in glory. The fall will be reversed. Paradise will be regained. 
When we pray the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven, this is not some remote term referring to some unimaginable world that may or may not exist. They are the words of our Heavenly Father beckoning us towards Him. The focus in our passage today is all on life, but the verse before our passage talked of the lake of fire. And in the verse after, the second death is associated with a fiery lake of burning sulfur. As Jo put it in her book, God is an endlessly mysterious marriage of justice and mercy. We shouldn't kid ourselves that this fabulous picture of the life we can look forward to will be for everyone. The promise in verse 7 underlines this. It is he who overcomes who will then inherit all this. We sometimes sing, I am a child of God. We become children of God thanks to what God through Christ has done in overcoming evil. That is a great promise for us to get hold of again today and to invite others to hear about in the forthcoming Alpha Course. When John says in the famous prologue to his gospel that we often hear at Christmas time, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He is again pointing to Christ having overcome the devil. The Old Testament ended looking forward to the realization of the promise of Christ coming down to earth which we then read about in the New Testament. The New Testament now ends looking forward to the promised return of Christ, when the one who is truth will make all things new, having completed his purposes, and who will share his glory with us, his children, in a perfect universe. The story of Christ, whose birth we've just been celebrating at Christmas, really is the narrative running through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus' significance stretches back forever and forwards over everything. In our series over the last month, Joe reminded us, first of all, that Jesus pre-existed everything and that the real Christmas story is gritty. Tim then gave us the wonderful picture of the birth of Jesus being like a diamond. And then the less attractive picture of the leaky ponds. Katie then pointed us to Isaiah's picture of Jesus, the servant with the long job description, providing the way back and ended by encouraging us to have a deep sense of the eternal home to which we belong. It is that eternal home which Revelation gives us a good picture of now that the battle between the dragon and Jesus has been won. This vision in chapter 21 catches the moment the city of God is revealed in all its splendor as the reality we can experience now through the Holy Spirit and then forever face to face. 
A train of events is in motion that will one day result in the forces of evil being brought to an end by God. C.S. Lewis famously said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in as well. Aim at earth and you will get neither. As believers, we take comfort in the sure and certain knowledge that an incredible future joy and life lies with the risen Christ. For as long as we are in the first earth, there will be lots of difficult times. Some of them may last years. But in the new heaven and earth, we will be satisfied by the spring of the water of life. There was talk about whether COVID would allow Christmas to be saved this year. And it was wonderful not to have the same restrictions as we did last year, wasn't it? But Justin Welby pointed out in his Christmas sermon that it was never about us saving Christmas, but about Christmas saving us. We are invited to let the significance of Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end, run through our whole life. But does it? Will we let it this year? What's the answer? Jumping to the final verses of Revelation, Christ says to us, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And those of us who do want this, we reply, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the Bible closes with the promise that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen.